Hello everyone, this is Giulio Coraggio, Location Head of the Italian Intellectual Property and Technology uh, team uh, at DLA Piper. Uh, today, as part of our podcast, Digital Digitale, we have um, a great guest, Andrea Renda. Andrea will introduce himself, but uh, briefly is a director of research at the Center for European Policy Studies. He's also a professor at the European University Institute, and it's considered one of the fathers of um, the legislation on artificial intelligence within the European Union. But uh, Andrea, welcome. And maybe you can give a bit of context of um, uh, your role behind this uh, AI legislation within European Union. Well, thank you, Giulio. Thanks for the uh, invitation. It's a pleasure to be to be here with you, uh, albeit virtually. Uh, well, the first thing that I can say, if I'm one of the fathers, uh, I hope not to be frustrated because fathers normally want to want to become fathers when they give birth, right? Okay. And the AI Act isn't is not born yet, if you wish. Meaning we are waiting for uh, anxiously for the finalization of the text. Um, uh, well, some people would say that since both of us are Italian. Uh, that sometimes kids in Italy leave home very late. And this is a little bit what is happening with the AI Act. We're still waiting for, for the kid to really leave home and, and started to, uh, to come of age, if you wish. Uh, I've been involved since the very beginning um, uh, with the uh, uh, preparation of the AI Act. I was one of the members of the high-level expert group. It's an independent group of experts uh, that define the ethics guidelines for trustworthy artificial intelligence uh, between 2018 and 2020, that was an independent expert group appointed by the European Commission. And then I led the study that backed the impact assessment of the AI Act in the years 2020-2021. Uh, uh, the AI Act, the proposal of the European Commission was presented in April 2021. Since then, I've been advising uh, the rapporteurs in the European Parliament uh, on a variety of occasions but also became the um, uh, founder of a forum for international cooperation on artificial intelligence together with uh, the Brookings Institution, NCEPS, and also um, the chair of the OECD Working Group on AI Risk, where we put together basically all the emerging frameworks for the regulation or the non-regulation of AI that are emerging around the world. Yeah, Andrea, this is interesting because um, everyone has the feeling that um, uh, the urgency of legislation on artificial intelligence just happened uh, last year. Well, uh, all of a sudden, for those that are not uh, pretty much aware of uh, the AI space, uh, ChatGPT was launched uh, and everyone got into a situation of panic uh, because we had to put in place some rules. But you say that it's a long wave, it's a long process that started um, more than three years ago, that um, now should uh, see the light, hopefully. <laughs> the process started actually at least six years ago at the EU level. In the European Parliament, perhaps in a rather awkward way at the beginning with this resolution on civil law rules for robotics that really didn't resonate very well with the scientific community. But then with the creation in 2018, so a year later with of the AI Alliance and the high-level expert group at the EU level, we really entered in full swing into the work on defining the risks of AI and then started mapping these risks, uh, uh, in particular the ones related to fundamental rights and safety. But when I uh, led the study for the European Commission on the AI Act, uh, the European Commission asked me, um, could you map which fundamental rights are actually affected um, by AI. And already by then, 2020, we had evidence that it was not just the typical discrimination issues with algorithms and machine learning, but it's 
almost every fundamental right um, uh, is potentially was already uh, affected by AI at the time. Of course, particularly in the U.S., where algorithms uh, were being used also much more in the in the public and in the private sector. But that was starting to to become an issue also in Europe. So uh, this is why the AI Act took this rather comprehensive view and then started mapping both for safety and fundamental rights, the potential uh, applications of AI that would be considered either as too risky or unacceptably risky and thereby should be prohibited or um, uh, uh, high risk and thereby to be regulated. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Andrea, during the last few days, I was saying, uh, um, there was a a very strong position by uh, the largest European countries, France, Germany, and including Italy, against the approval of the AI Act. Then in the letter, they in the paper they drafted, it wasn't really clear whether they wanted to get rid uh, of the old AI Act or uh, approve a softer version of it. But basically, they were more keen to have um, a sort of code of conduct uh, along the lines of what the G7 approved um, last month, um, because they expected that that, uh, over-regulating AI could discriminate um, European companies since they're definitely smaller than uh, the US giants within this industry. industry. What is your take? Where are we based on your views? So Julio, let me me get this straight because it's a very complicated and very tortuous story, right? Um, Go back one year when ChatGPT hits the market, it's November last year, um, the AI Act is basically ready. There are still some um, uh, disagreements between the European Parliament and the Council. There are already in the AI Act, in the text, some provisions on so-called general purpose AI systems which are legally a bit more complicated than uh, the typical structure of the AI Act, which looks at um, applications of AI that are placed on the market for a specific purpose. Of course, if you have a general purpose AI system, so a versatile one, you have to decide what to do with this. But already there were provisions in there that were slightly different between the parliament and the council. What happens then? First of all, a group of tech uh, gurus starts um, uh, um, uh, sort of, throwing uh, fuel on the fire by saying these new powerful models risk uh, the extinction of the human race. They should be regulated like nuclear weapons. I think this was, this is my personal position. I've said that in conferences and in writing, this was intentional um, to deviate the attention of uh, regulators and policymakers around the world uh, away from regulation and towards international solutions, codes of conduct, soft law. Uh, So, uh, even if in some contexts the likes of Sam Altman were shouting, please regulate us, then when they were coming to Brussels, they were saying, oh, please don't regulate us like this. And so um, I've seen it's been a very, very complicated moment in which legislators had felt the pressure to accommodate and to introduce rules on so-called foundation models and general purpose AI models inside the AI Act. So reopening the Pandora's box of the AI Act. So that decision was made by the European Parliament in February, not to finalize the text and reopen it to introduce new provisions. And since we are talking mostly to legal experts here, and for those of you that are experts of the EU uh, ordinary legislative procedure, you can imagine that uh, once the procedure has gotten to the final stage, which is a trilogue, right, where 
European Commission, Parliament and Council have to reach an agreement. Uh, normally, there is no possibility to feed more evidence. So writing an entire new body of rules and provisions during the trilogue without an impact assessment, an evaluation, a consultation or anything like this, it's a, a leap of faith. You have to really hope that these people have, have learned their lesson. So what has happened in all these months? The Parliament, the Council and the European Commission has started battling over the text of the AI Act in a number of respects. First, there is an outstanding um, problem and disagreement on whether there should be exceptions to the prohibition to use the real-time biometric identification in public places. Uh, and so and that is was to be expected. Many member states want to be able to use uh, for cases, for example, of uh, prosecuting suspected um, terrorists um, or missing children or other cases like this. They want to be able to use real-time identification uh, through biometric data. Um, but there is, most importantly, uh, as you were mentioning, Julio, the outstanding issue of whether one should regulate the likes of GPT or not, even if they are not on the market for one purpose, but they are there to be used by downstream players to then potentially develop high-risk or even low-risk applications. Um, that is uh, um, uh, the real outstanding issue that has created quite a lot of tension between the European Parliament and uh, at least three member states. Uh, the tension has reached a level that during one of the trilogue meetings a few weeks ago, members of parliament have actually left the room by saying, if you want to go this way, this is not something that uh, we are ready to, to withhold. And so the, the, the current controversy is not about uh, the AI Act itself, but it's whether the AI Act should contain regulatory measures on foundation models. And by the way, the ones proposed by the parliament borrow much from the Digital Services Act. Uh, and so, or whether the uh, there should be, by the way, as I in a paper had proposed already uh, over a year ago, um, there should be the provisions that already exist in the AI Act for low or no risk or limited or no risk uh, AI applications uh, that contemplates a code of conduct, a voluntary code of conduct that would be then vetted by the European Commission, whether these provisions could be extended to the case of foundation models and general purpose AI. So creating a code of conduct under the monitoring of the European Commission without imposing new rules and legislation. And the argument in favor of this is uh, uh, also, as you were mentioning, that this is what um, uh, the G7 is trying to do. This is to some extent uh, also a, an issue that is under the attention of the United Nations at the moment, but also in the future, uh, the Global Partnership on AI, the G20, and other international forums. Uh, but just to be clear, uh, according to this approach, we will have a uh, general purpose, uh, uh, general purpose is uh, AI, and foundation models govern govern just by code of conduct. But then the usage of um, these technologies um, in regulated fields, like I don't know, life sciences, for instance, um, would have um, ad hoc provisions in the AI Act, or that would be already covered by the sector-specific legislation, for instance, in relation to medical devices? Yeah, that's a good question. So this is how, in my view, it should be done. So take it for as my view. I'm, you know, normally EU policymakers read what I write, but they don't necessarily follow my view. And it, it's a good thing. <laughs> that said, um, what would happen is there would be a code of conduct. 
those providers of AI, they want to use um, uh, general purpose AI systems or want to rely on foundation models to then develop high-risk applications of AI will be covered by the AI Act. Okay. Those that, of course, use any form of technology, including foundation models or, or, or GPIs, general purpose AI systems, which has many overlaps between the two con con concepts, to develop products that are already regulated based on sector-specific regulations, of course, they would need to comply with that sector-specific regulation. The medical devices regulation, the moment you use software, you're already at a, a tier two, a second level of risk. So you actually have to be subject to a conformity assessment. And that is where the use of the foundation models will come into play. That's um, that's normal. Uh, I don't see the reason why foundation models should be subject to upstream regulation um, in the AI Act. What I would propose is rather what in uh, regulatory terms we would call a sunrise clause, meaning that the European Commission says, this is what I'm putting in place. This is what I had in mind for the AI Act. I would like to see some cooperation along the value chain, meaning if the, the, the likes of OpenAI or the Microsofts of the world, they should help downstream providers uh, go through their conformity assessment because they know in many cases much more about their model objects. Um, but... I'm going to give you three, four, five years. So if I see that uh, um, uh, the uh, foundation models uh, 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 producers and developers do not share information with downstream players, or if the market is too concentrated, or if the market is sufficiently transparent, then I will intervene with actual command and control regulation or any form of, let's say, uh, harder regulation. And this is what we call, it's the opposite of a sunset clause, right? It's a sunrise clause in legislation. Uh, yeah, because uh, uh, many of the principles within the AI Act are already covered in other general EU legislations, like uh, the transparency principles. Um, so it's not that uh, the artificial intelligence is totally unregulated at the moment. When it's used in regulated sectors, uh, definitely it is re regulated. Uh, but for instance, another high-risk application would be uh, the usage of AI for credit scoring by banks, insurance companies, and so on. Uh, in that case, I understand that um, we would keep, at least according to your view, the provisions in the AI Act, just removing um, those that uh, are for general purpose and are not. Um, so like um, the version uh, commercially available of ChatGPT that can be used for any purpose, wouldn't fall within the scope of the AI Act and would have to comply within the uh, with the provisions of the code of conduct. But, but then uh, when GPT-4 is used for a specific um, high risk, then the provisions would um, uh, come into place, Absolutely. <laughs> at least according to the view. So um, it, it sounds like a very agitating moment for... Uh, um, uh, policymakers. Uh, we had the, the paper of um, the three main European countries uh, uh, last week, uh, and now we are having uh, very um, frequent meetings. And then we have the deadline of the 6th of December, because the next and maybe the last meeting of the year of uh, the trilogue is uh, on the 6th of December, which is a very um, relevant deadline because if then uh, the AI Act, uh, the, the agreement of the AI Act is not reaching that meeting, uh, 
then uh, there would not be anymore the Spanish presidency. And I understand that Spain really wants to have um, the act approved under the presidency. So what do you think is going to happen during the coming days? Because really the window is um, uh, is, is very short and it seems uh, kind of um, uh, awkward that uh, we've been discussing about the IAX for six years and then um, we need to rush at the end. Yeah, what's going to happen is very difficult to say. Uh, if I had to, um, uh, you know, bet with you on what will happen, um, uh, I would probably place my uh, my stakes on uh, on the finalization of the text by the 6th of December, exactly for the reason that you were mentioning. The Spanish presidency really wants to get this done. The Secretary of State for Digitalization in Spain, Carme Artigas, is even one of the two co-chairs of the United Nations a multi-stakeholder advisory group on artificial intelligence. She has a reputation uh, to build and defend uh, also through the AI Act. But the pressure, you know, hopefully doesn't lead to a, a, um, a breakdown in the in the negotiations, because uh, if there will be no possibility to compose this uh, disagreement, then, of course, the whole thing uh, will go through to the Belgian presidency. And that will be the last chance, because then we have elections. And it could also mean um, a... You know, after the EU elections, there will be a new commission, a new parliament. And so if the Belgian presidency doesn't finalize this, first of all, it falls under Hungarian presidency. But also, most importantly, the parliament will not be working anymore. And so uh, the European Commission will not be in place anymore. And so uh, for a few months, we're going to have to press play on the AI Act. This would be the most disastrous of uh, uh, the outcomes, in particular for a uh, European Union that would like to see the AI Act uh, become the blueprint for uh, for global AI regulation through the so-called uh, Brussels effect. Uh, I think the decision to postpone by uh, nine months the finalization, well, but a few months uh, at least, the finalization of the text in the European Parliament and this, uh, um, this extension of the uh, agony of the, of the trilogue for many more months has already weakened the EU's possibility to really create the blueprint for future AI regulation. Uh, the US and China have already um, had their say uh, through forms of regulation or mix of uh, soft and, and hard law. Uh, and um, uh, in my opinion, this, this uh, tendency to continue rewriting the AI Act um, uh, because there are new last-minute developments, something that I called a fear of missing out, if you wish, a FOMO syndrome in the EU institutions is not going to lead uh, anywhere. So one thing that I can say is the following, and I'm putting this in a notepad that will see the light in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. um, it's My optimism is more political than technical, if you wish. Um, uh, we have a tradition here in Belgium, where I live now, that the 6th of December is the day Santa Claus uh, reaches Belgium, coming from Spain, by the way. Uh, and so and brings uh, gifts to the kids. Right. So if the Spanish presidency could bring through Santa Claus the gift of the finalized text of the AI Act, that would be fantastic, not only for the Spanish presidency, but also for everybody. And I hope in that AI Act, the EU institutions will refrain to put too many new provisions that have not been analyzed, assessed, discussed with stakeholders uh, in the seven years, <laughs> six, seven years in which this text has been under discussion. Yeah, I absolutely share your view. Uh, the EU had the opportunity of being the first one regulating uh, 
um, AI. Uh, the US executive order is more a framework rather than actual regulations because it gives an instruction to the directors of the Ministry of Commerce enacting uh, provisions. But uh, absolutely, if the EU wants to become a champion, a benchmark uh, in regulating AI in order to have um, the new AI industry flourishing within the European Union, the press needs to speed up and uh, needs to do it uh, now. Andrea, the, your comments has always been really uh, insightful and I thank you for your time. And uh, I'm, I will bother you again once uh, the AI Act is approved to see hopefully is approved to see your view uh, on how the market is going to react to it. Very good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, hope then that we will uh, uh, see each other again soon, which means the text will have been finalized uh, in due time.